Packers Daily with Jason Mertides. And welcome to your Thursday, January 28th edition of Flyers Daily with Jason Martinez. It is game day once again, Flyers and Devils. Going to go back at it at the Prudential Center tonight. Game two of this two-game set, both on the road, before the Flyers return home on Saturday and Sunday, a back-to-back home affair with the New York Islanders, who, of course, ended the Flyers' season in seven games in the second round of the Stanley Cup playoffs a year ago. A lot to get to in this episode on this game day edition, including Scott Gordon, he was the Flyers' interim coach a couple of years ago, and he is now, once again, the bench boss in his sixth season behind the bench of the Lehigh Valley Phantoms, who will start their season coming up on February 6th against the Hershey Bears. So we'll talk to Scott Gordon about what's what lies ahead for the Phantoms, talk about some individual players, their development, and much more with the Phantoms' head coach. Looking forward to that conversation. But before we get there, uh, game tonight. In his press availability yesterday after practice, Elaine Vigneault named his goaltender starter, and it is number 79, Carter Hart. He is opting to go back to the young goaltender who had a a rough game uh, Saturday evening in Boston, 6-1 defeat against the Bruins. We got a question on yesterday's podcast from uh, somebody named Kieran McVan. It was on Twitter questions, and he asked me the question, let it ride with Moose or put Hart in for the second game of the series against the Devils a week off for Hart? And at the time, I said, I don't know what my answer is here. Usually, I always have an answer when it comes to goaltending. So I I wasn't sure. I could make the case either way to go to Brian Elliott or to go back to Carter Hart and get the kid right back on the beam and let's go. You're our number one goalie. Get back out there. But Elaine Vigneault put an end to the mystery, and he named Carter Hart the starter. He will start uh, tonight against the New Jersey Devils. So I did a little digging, and I wanted to kind of find out what the environment has been like for Carter Hart. And there's some advanced goalie analytics that are available to the general public that you can find online, like goal saved above average and different things like that, uh, Corsica Hockey and stuff like that on the internet. But some of the more private companies that work with teams, goaltending analytics that I feel even a little bit better about. So I wanted to dig into it. So I reached out to uh, former Ranger goaltender, now broadcaster, Steve Valiquette, who runs a company called ClearSight Analytics. CSAHockey.com is the website. Uh, you'll get some of the information there, but not all of it. And it's really interesting. They track every shot, every chance, every attempted shot in every NHL game. And he's done it for, I think, six or seven seasons now. And he's developed a couple of models, and he tracks all these shots and has come up with different categories like expected goals for five-on-five or expected goals on the power play, uh, expected goals for on the rush, expected uh, goals for on five-on-five, just ozone, or expected goals for power play, five-on-four, and those kind of things. And he does it on the other side as well. Expected goals against 5-on-5, expected goals against off the rush, expected goals against 5-on-5 D-zone, and expected goals against on the PK. And as let's, So let's start with the positive. Um, four, the four category, so offensively for the Flyers. Uh, expected goals for, so far through their first seven games, 15th in the NHL. Expected goals for 5-on-5 versus the rush, they're actually 10th in the NHL, which means they're generating good opportunities. Expected goals for 5-on-5 on an ozone possession, they're 21st in the NHL, which makes sense with what we're seeing because they're not spending enough time in the offensive zone. It's what Elaine Vigneault has talked about. They rank 21st in that category. And then expected goals for on the power play, 
uh, five on four, they're 12th in the NHL. Their power play has clicked, and sometimes at, at pretty high levels, 29% so far in the season, but that ranks 12th in the NHL. Now for the other side of the coin, it's the D zone and the against category. So a be- expected goals against five on five, they're 30th in the National Hockey League. Expected goals against five on five on the rush, 29th in the National Hockey League. Expected goals against five on five in the D zone, 27th in the National Hockey League, and expected goals against on the PK, 21st in the NHL. Not good. The PK has had games like that Boston game where they give up three power play goals on four power play opportunities, but generally across the league right now, uh, the PK is far behind power plays, and power plays are clicking at an alarming percentage this early in the season. Still small sample size. We'll see how this kind of balances out over the next couple of weeks to when teams get upwards of 12 to 15 to 20 games. Uh, but right now, the power play certainly way ahead. And with limited practice time for a penalty kill, uh, that could linger a little longer than normal. But again, back to the question that Kieran answered, would I have gone to Brian Elliott or would I have gone with Carter Hart in this game? I looked at it, and if I was making the decision, I'm still not sure what decision I would make. A big part of what I would have to consider is that what Carter Hart has seen in his environment with chances, he's got the second hardest environment of any goalie in the NHL. So that's a part of the equation as well. And you look at that second Brad Marchand goal on Saturday where he scored it short side. They were on the power play. That goal, and talking to Steve Aliquette about this as well, is a product of his environment. And you say, well, what does that mean? What that means is there were three goals scored down around the blue paint and all on the back door. So by that point in the game, he got burned back door three times. Two by Patrice Bergeron, and I forget the other one, maybe uh, Nick Ritchie. But when that happens, it's in his brain. And you can try and clear your mind of goals that you've given up already in-game, and you can do that to an extent to not affect you going forward. But on that Brad Marchand shot... There is a player backdoor, there's a player high slot, and there's Brad Marchand on his glove side. And he is slightly shaded, giving Marchand a little bit more room than normal on the short side for fear that another backdoor goal is coming from Patrice Bergeron or another Bruins forward on the other side of the crease. He leans a little bit, and in the NHL, when you lean, they get you. Brad Marchand got him, and I'm sure Carter Hart was none too pleased about that goal, but that's a product of his environment. He does need to get back out there. The team... Uh, structurally in the D zone has got to be better. They were better in the first game of this Devil Series, but they still have more steps to go. It was a good first step, but they got to take it to the next step, and they got to continue to clean up that zone and then move forward. Clean up the D zone, clean up the neutral zone. The byproduct of cleaning those two up certainly can be more offensive zone time, more opportunities, and more chances to score goals. And then you see those four numbers that we talked about earlier they'll go up as well. But let's get to Scott Gordon right now. The head coach of the Philadelphia Phantoms joins us right now on Flyers Daily in advance of the AHL season. Gordo, how you doing? Good. How about yourself? I'm doing good, man. You got to be chomping at the bit. You ready? Yeah, it was a long lot. I, I, I can tell you right now, um, not that I'm happy about it, but I might be the best leaf blower in uh, the United States with all the practice I had this fall, being home for the first time in 20, 20 plus years. Did you get like the strap-on leaf blower where you got like that jetpack? Oh yeah, I got the back. I got the backpack, and uh, you know, there's a lot of strategy that's involved as far as you know when the wind's downhill and and uphill, and uh, then you get your neighbor who's got his leaves that are blowing over to your side, so you don't want to piss him off and get him upset because your leaves went over there. So there's a lot of strategy. See all the things you got to worry about when there's no hockey. I'm telling you. 
It's insane, yeah. right? This, yeah. this real life thing really gets in the way of our hockey. Uh, That's right. Hey, hey, real quick, before we get to your season, you know, you have such an interesting hockey life. I didn't realize, and you can tell me if this is true or not. I read it on the internet, so I'm assuming there's a 50-50 shot. But back in uh, 1985, you and uh, former Providence Friars goaltender Chris Terreri did something that no other goalies ever did at, at any high level before by placing a water bottle on top of your net. Is that true? That is true, um, but it actually uh, – nobody knows this, at well, except for me probably. Um, we were – it was, it was post-Christmas, and we had a, uh, some time off before Christmas. We came back, and then we headed to uh, North Dakota to play two games out there. And uh, I, I – you know, between having the time off for exams and all that and uh, getting back on the ice – played two games. I had 40 shots and in both, both games. I, I cramped really bad. The second night was worse. And so, uh, I, I, I was telling my trainer, like, I, I just go down and I start cramping and he's like, well, let's get some, some water and some Gatorade and, and, uh, just put it on the net. And so, uh, you know, we got all set up, ready to start. And then the referee face off in our zone comes by and he's like, what's this on the net? And I go, I, my trainer told me I need to put it on the net and I got a drink, uh, throughout the game because I'm, I'm cramping up and he, I don't think he even knew, you know, what the answer was for that, if that, you know, should be allowed or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like from that point on, I started putting a water bottle on my net and um, you know, I don't know how it worked out that uh, Chris Dreary ended up having one, if he had one before that, or if it was just something that they, they put on the nets uh, prior to the tournament and, and the playoffs. But uh, I had been doing it for like three months, and um, it was a whole lot of necessity because I, I wasn't getting through games without – I was getting dehydrated. I can't even imagine playing without a bottle on, on the net now because every time there's a stoppage and you have a chance to reset, the water bottle is part of the routine, but also just to stay hydrated. It's crazy. With all that gear on, you sweat like a, insane amounts. Yeah, you know what? Uh, I, I don't even remember um, hydrating, people talking about hydrating uh, as much as they do now, I, you know, like I, it just cracks me up when my kids would say, uh, I'm thirsty. I, I need some water. And we just didn't think about it. I, 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 I don't, I don't even remember when we started using water bottles on the bench, if it was high school or if it was, uh, uh, in college, but, uh, you know, growing up in youth hockey, I don't even, I don't even remember having water during the games. And, and now like, kids drink it like it's oxygen and, and it's probably a good thing, but, um, you know, it wasn't something that, uh, even thought about as a kid. As a guy who grew up playing goalie, did, did you often wonder what went on there on the bench? You know, I was never on the bench during a game. Yeah. I very rarely yeah, backed it, up. So <laughs> that with that, and, um, you know, obviously when you, when you back up, you, you get a little taste of it, but, uh, you know, usually the, the players, they want to stay away from the backup goalie cause he's loose and chatty and, and, uh, doesn't have a care in the world. And, until uh, you know, you start getting that look from the head coach that you might be going in. Uh, but the one thing that I, I I regret not having the opportunity to do is serve a penalty, being in the penalty box, and you know what, what goes on in that penalty box, talking to the guy, not talking to the guy that's opening the door. Um, that was always something that uh, I always wondered what it was like to be in there for two minutes, what it, wondering if uh, you know how the coach is going to be when you get back to the bench if you get scored against, or how he reacted to the penalty and. <laughs> that whole process. You know, I've never been in the box either uh, as well. I, I, I've gotten kicked out of games before. I'm assuming you got kicked out of a game. No, I, I, that's one thing that's uh, on my bucket list. 
<laughs> um, you know, I, I, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I, I would imagine someday that that'll be have to that'll be something I'll I'll have to do. Oh, we got to make sure that box gets checked for you. you. Come in and sub for me in my beer league and, and find a way to get kicked out. It's not hard. Um, uh, real quick, too, Gordo, when you look at, uh, you know, you've coached in internationally as well. There's an Olympic coming up next year. Uh, what's that experience like for you, coaching in Olympics and all the pomp and circumstances surrounding that? Um, say that again, coming out of the uh, – uh, um... The lockout? What was it you said? No, uh, coaching in internationally and coaching in an Olympics. You were part of that 2010 uh, Winter Olympics where you guys got to the gold medal game uh, with Ron Wilson. What's it like with all that, you know, pomp and circumstance around the Olympics and, you know, just the, the, the amount of patriotism and everything that goes with it? So uh, if, before uh, 2010, in, in 92, um, I went to the Olympics as a player. Um, so I had a little idea of what it was going to be like. And, and the one memory that I have, uh, that stood out was you, you were playing in France and, um, you don't know what kind of, what, what kind of fan support is going to be at the games. You know, it's in a, a foreign country. Um, I think the arena sat like 7,000 and, uh, the, probably one of the most distinct memories that I had was, um, coming down the hallway getting ready to go out into the tunnel and, and onto the ice and uh, just hearing the crowd chanting USA. And um, I don't think, you know, from my, my standpoint, I don't ever remember anyone talking about, you know, what kind of fan support we're going to have. And then you make that walk out there and you go out and you see the, the flags waving and you see the red, white, and blue paint on the faces. And, uh, you know, like uh, I would say out of the 7,000 people, there had to be 6,000 uh, uh, American fans and, and uh, that was like one of the most distinct moments of the Olympics that uh, that I, I remember. And uh, and uh, same thing, you know, up in, in Vancouver, you know, we had great fan support and uh, obviously being uh, in North America, um, we made it a little bit more special and, um, you know, great experience. And, uh, you know, with the exception of a, a puck hitting the ref skate and no other than uh, Sidney Crosby cashing in on a, uh, a fortuitous bounce, uh, they were able to, to win, and there's a difference in the, the game as far as gold and silver medal. And what a performance by Ryan Miller back there as well. You were in Albertville. Uh, let's talk about the team uh, that you're going to be, be captaining once again this season, uh, the Phantoms. You guys are going to start coming up on February 6th. Um, how much of a, a look have you gotten at your players so far and, and as you head into you know, getting ready to drop the puck on a new, a new season, albeit shortened? Yeah, uh, we. I think this probably half the team was from last year, so – you know, there's obviously familiarity there. And then obviously some of those, most of those guys were in training camp and getting to see, uh, you know, the draft picks wisdom and, um, Forster, uh, gave us a little idea of what to expect from them. And, and then we've had a few players here that, uh, that we signed just specifically to, to play in Allentown. So, you know, we've had, uh, today was our second official day. We had a couple, uh, practices, uh, prior to the, uh, 26th, uh, that were kind of informal, but, just to kind of uh, get the guys some ice that were coming into town that hadn't uh, been in a uh, team environment. Uh, so it was their first opportunity to, to, to get their legs underneath them. So, you know, right now we're, we're just trying to identify some line combinations, put together some special teams. We've got two exhibition games on uh, one on Sunday and, and next Tuesday. And um, uh, the one on Tuesday was supposed to be this coming Friday, but because of the, uh, they, they had a case of COVID, I uh, had to be put on hold. Um, how's it going to work for you with, you know, the expanded roster for the Flyers and, 
you know, th- those players would be kind of at your disposal in a season. Uh, will you guys kind of be moving guys back and forth maybe a little bit more than normal? Well, I, I think, I mean, I don't know for sure, but uh, obviously the taxi squad is six uh, players. And if they stay with that, I'm sure there'll be at least, you know, one defenseman, one goalie and uh, one D and maybe one of another. Um, I think they have to have four. Uh, so, that, you know, obviously there's possibility that we could get two. They could keep six. Um, you know, there could be some shuffling based on position and needs. So um, I think that, you know, one of the things that, uh, you know, we, we probably will, will be a little bit different in that you, we won't get that immediate call up because they'll have somebody there. But again, if it if it's uh, you know based on need and it does, they don't who's on, whoever's on the taxi squad doesn't fulfill that need, you know then there's a situation where maybe a guy goes up and a guy comes down, whereas before it was just a guy coming up and and we were left on our own to to figure it out. Um, Sam Moran's making a switch or has made the switch from D to to the wing position. Uh, Scott, when you look at uh, Sam Moran, obviously a hulking huge guy. Uh, he's dealt with some really tough injuries over the past couple of years. What have you seen out of that transition from him so far? Uh, you know, it's a it's, tough um, one. <laughs> it's a tough transition. Yeah, it is, and it's what makes it um, you know probably a little bit tougher is he's so big, yeah. and a lot of a uh, success for a winger comes on his ability to to play along the walls and protect pucks and uh, make plays under pressure. Uh, you know, basically coming from both sides, you know, you're a defense when you're going back for the puck, you know, it's the player that's on you in the boards. And uh, as a you know, winger, you've got pressure coming from underneath you in your zone. You got pressure coming from behind you, you know, from the blue line in. So you've got to, you know, be able to have uh, you know good peripheral vision to identify where the pressure is. And, and at the same time, find where your, your passing options are and, uh, you know, it's uh, it's a different, it's a lot different look, and you know, I think the biggest thing is just to get Sam playing. He's missed so much hockey in the last two years. Um, you won't you won't find anybody uh, that will have a uh, a bad word to say about Sam, and everybody's rooting for him because uh, he is such a, a quality person and uh, cares so much and just wants to play. and And uh, I know he's the, the two years that he was here. Um, you know, he really put the time in and worked at it and. Uh, it was, it was really a, a breath of fresh air with just his attitude and, and his compete level and, and uh, how he approached things. Yeah, he's such a good kid. Um, let's talk about the first-round pick from this past year. Um, and looking at some video of Tyson Forrester, and you'll kind of – I think you'll agree with this. When you see a guy at any level, wherever it's at, and he played it obviously at a high level to be a first-round draft pick, but when I don't see the goalie move when he takes shots, you know it's a special shot. And he really does have a cannon. Uh, what have you seen out of Tyson Forster, maybe where he needs to take the next steps uh, toward his progression towards the NHL? Well, it, it's it, even though it's the American League, it, it's still a big jump, and you know your time and space is a lot different. Um, you know, you're you're not playing against any 16, 17, 18 year old defensemen. The guys that are down the American League, even though you know there's some that uh, maybe haven't uh, played a lot in the NHL, they're 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 around the American League for a reason because of their ability to play the game at a high level down here and experience, um, you know, usually wins over against, uh, you know, players that are just coming and moving up from junior uh, and even college. So, you know, it's right now he's just getting acclimated to the speed. He's getting acclimated to the time and space. Uh, you know, things are, I think this environment, 
you know, should open his eyes to be able to kind of give him an idea of uh, what it's like to be a pro. Um, as I said to, to our first year players the other day, you know, you're, you're here, you're playing in a professional league. Uh, some of them have a professional contract, but you're not a pro until you, you do everything like a pro. And it's not just uh, how you play the game, but how you practice, how you prepare, train off the ice, how you eat, uh, get your rest. Um, there's a lot of things that factor into it. And, and, um, that's something that, uh, you know, both Zade and, um, Tyson are getting an opportunity to, to get a jump on and uh, hopefully uh, it'll make the process easiest. Um, so when, when the time comes that they do turn pro, uh, they'll have, have, you know, hopefully had their eyes open. Yeah. Imagine being in the Flyers camp uh, when they reconvened for the return. And that certainly was an eye-opening experience, probably very educational. Let, let me ask you about a guy like Lena Sandin. In your experience, guys coming over, from playing on the big sheet of ice internationally and, and where he was playing in Sweden. Um, what's that adjustment like for the player? Can you kind of articulate what that might be like for the people listening? I think the biggest uh, thing that they have to get used to is the, the tightness of the, the boards being, you know, 85 feet apart instead of a hundred feet apart. You know, you, you have, you can have a tendency to be able to skate through the neutral zone and, you know, the defenseman, if their gap is bad, uh, if they're, uh, you have maybe more speed there, you know, they're going to play the game inside the dots more so even than the, the NHL. And there's opportunity to be able to skate down the wall, maybe get longer looks to the middle of the ice and to the net uh, than what you would normally get uh, playing in North America. So that's going to be the biggest adjustment. Obviously things happen quicker. So, you know, European hockey, generally you, there's a lot more puck possession due to the fact that there is that time and space and, you know, there's probably less uh, dumping of the puck uh, due to the fact that, uh, you know, you, you can throw it back to your defenseman. And a lot of teams, because of the fact that there is so much space, they've got a willingness to sit back um, and, uh, you know, just set up a one two two four check or a one four four check and let you come at them. And you can generate speed and, you know, get, get passes in, in full flight. Whereas, you know, in our league, uh, you know, just the, you know, sometimes we don't even have a set breakout where the defenseman stops behind the net or you know, like you, you'll see the Flyers set up with two defensemen at the faceoff dot. The Flyers will make a change and uh, three new forwards will come on. They'll generate some speed and they'll make that, you know, play to one of the forwards with speed. And uh, down in the American League, there's, there's very little of that. Usually there's two guys coming hard on the defenseman and the defenseman are going to get the puck. They got to move it up to the wingers. Wingers, when they get the puck, there might be somebody on them. So they've got to be prepared to if they don't have a play to get the puck in so that they're not um, turn the puck over because there, there is that element of closure that happens quicker at this level. Um, when I, when I found out I was talking to you, I put a, a, a tweet out saying that I was going to be talking to you. And I got a question from somebody uh, on Twitter. It said, Matthew Strom, uh, is he still considered, you know, a decent NHL prospect? You know, uh, you know, he, this person that tweeted in said, I know skating has been an issue for him when he came in, watched a little bit in junior as well. How's that improved for him? Um, well, it's, it's early yet. Uh, you know, it's, I think an area that all players could get better at, but, you know, certainly with him, that's been something that we've, we've tried to target. Um, you know, and it, it starts with uh, your training and, and trying to become more explosive and powerful uh, off the ice. So it carries over onto the ice. And, uh, you know, right now it's, it's early in camp, but, um, you know, it's, it's an ongoing process. And Matt, Matt's a, a really nice kid. Um, you know, I think he, you know, when you 
come to the rink every day. He's got a smile on his face, and uh, we just got to make sure that he's working every day at it to to, to try to get uh, gain a step, uh, whether it's off ice uh, or on ice. And and uh, he certainly has the skill level and the ability to make plays. And um, you know, being able to get up and down the ice is is going to be a constant for him. Uh, a good bloodline too. Um, one of the guys that Chuck Fletcher grabbed in the offseason was Derek Pouliot. Gives you some a, a nice veteran back there to help with some of your younger players. And one of those players that Flyer fans are really excited about is Igor Zamula. Uh, he seems like he's kind of on a meteoric rise here in his development. Uh, how? Kind of give me a, an indication what it's been like the last you know eighteen months or two years for him and how he's kind of jumping. We were just talking about Igor. Um after practice today and um one of the most vivid memories i have of him from two years ago his first year that he came to camp was uh his puck patience and not getting rattled under pressure and being able to find plays under pressure uh that a lot of defensemen never mind at 18 but a lot of defensemen even when they're five six years in the pro don't have that ability and and uh you know it's, it's only been a week and a half here but uh already he's uh shown that he's He's got that ability to get the puck of the blue line, look around, find his options, uh, throw in a little deception so that uh, the, the, whoever's pressuring him bites on it and buys himself some more time. So uh, we're excited that, uh, you know, you know, probably, I mean, it's hard to say right now, but uh, he, he has so much upside and, uh, and he's, he's such a uh, passionate kid uh, about playing and practicing and wanting to do the right thing. And, um, you know, it's like, I think the, the, the what we're, we're seeing, uh, today, I think, uh, you know, another year getting used to the program, um, you know, it's going to be really beneficial for him. Yeah. It's such, such so much talent there with him and just, he plays the game. The game is played slow in his head. That's, that's a huge thing. as you mentioned, um, did you get a chance to take a look at Cam York and, uh, the world juniors? They had a pretty good performance. A little bit, yeah. Say. Yeah, I mean, he, there's another guy that uh, Oof, you want to talk about puck patience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, you know, it's a game playing slower than for him than it is for everybody else. So, yeah, it's, uh, you know, those, those that's so important because um, the, in today's game with the, the, the skill of the players, um, you can have the, the most skilled forwards, but if you don't have defensemen that can get the puck to them, it doesn't really matter what kind of skill they have. You, you've got to be able to get out of your zone efficiently and quickly and find your options and put the puck on the tape so that uh, you're not just chasing the puck and dumping the puck in and forechecking to retrieve pucks. You know, that, that transition game from your zone down the ice to the offensive zone is, is uh, so critical to a team's success and being able to generate offense. It's doing everything with a purpose, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, like uh, – simple things but um all over the ice you know it's it's not just you know throw the puck down and uh you know go and play like there's a lot that the players uh have to know and understand in situations whether it's systems or the you know where the pressure is coming from and uh, as you go through the process of becoming a pro you you learn these things and it just makes the game easier for you yeah, uh, your goaltending this year, you're, you're pretty young. Uh, Felix Sandstrom, um, Zane McIntyre, and Iman McAdam uh, are your goaltenders, at least on your roster right now. Maybe Alex Lyon will be available to you at some point. Um, what do you What do you got in net? So Zane's uh, been around the American League for a few years now. He had some really great years in Providence. Uh, we were we were fortunate to get him, given that uh, uh, Ustamenko 
uh, had surgery and wasn't going to be able to play for us. And uh, we had high expectations of him being able to come in and, and uh, do the job. So we were, like I said, we were fortunate to get Zane and, and, uh, and Felix is uh, a goaltender who, uh, you know, last year was kind of a tough year for him because he, he fought through uh, an injury that, you know, he probably, he, he could have had surgery maybe, you know, back in the fall and, I think the the thoughts were to try to get some kind of season under his belt this year and then have surgery. And then, you know, obviously with COVID, he was able to get the surgery and um, the timing of training camp being later, probably it was a benefit for him. And, um, you know, just talking to him about the surgery, he now is in a situation where he can actually bend forward comfortably with his chest and getting in a stance and, and not be so upright because of the, the discomfort that he had. And uh, that was something that was just progress getting progressively worse. And um, then now he just, he feels like he's got a you know new lower body, I guess. And, um, and as a result, the uh, certain saves that uh, a goaltender has to make have become easier for him. Where you're a shorter guy. I can say that because I am as well. And you were a goalie. Uh, the Flyers goalies by NHL standards, aren't the tallest guys in the world. Felix is six, two Carter Hart, six, two Brian Elliott, about the same. Where are you on height these days when it comes to the position? To me, it, see puck, stop puck. I mean. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, Bobby Asenza, when I was in Boston, he used to always say that uh, 6'3 was the perfect height. And um, he always felt that when you get into the 6'4, 6'5, 6'6, you start to lose some athleticism. And, and uh, you know, obviously there's a pretty good size five hole with the inches that you gain height-wise. But now the guys play on their knees so much and they're so efficient with their movements. Um, you know, the, obviously the bigger you are, the more chance you have of, uh, of stopping the puck just because of the mass that is taken up uh, uh, with your body in the net. Um, but I think really you know, what the, the most important characteristics for a goaltender is his ability to track the puck, his you know, vision watching the puck come to his body. And his ability to, to uh, from that track and follow the puck uh, for rebounds and be able to move, you know, whether it's getting back up on your feet and getting to the next spot or staying on your knees and using your edges, uh, whatever it might be, um, that that to me, those are the, the two most important things. That, you know, size is, is, is great, but if you don't have those other characteristics, so you look at a guy like, uh, you know, Carter Hart and why he's been able to have success so early in his career, um, I don't think there's – you know, been too many prospects that uh, have gone from the HL to the NHL that that have that uh, that those two qualities uh, as much as he does. Yeah, and the ability to read the play and read the threats and beat the pass and be at the right spot. Sometimes he doesn't make the sensational saves. It looks like it hits him, but why is that? He's in the right spot. Uh, let me ask you yeah. about last thing, Scott. Uh, he teed off on a net uh, with his Bauer goalie stick pretty good after a tough game against the Boston Bruins the other night. Um, some people, this is social media, so I take it with a grain of salt, had a problem with it. I had no problem with it. I thought it was a good thing. <laughs> I kind of let it out. And who hasn't shredded up an old Sherwood twig uh, at some point in their in their lifetime as a goalie? What would you think about that? Well, I, I think uh, I, from experience, um, <laughs> in one of my games, if you're going to do that, you might want to use a wood stick. It's yeah. a little bit easier to break. He's got to learn how to hit it. Um, no, too. He's got to hit it by the handle a little bit more. It'll see yeah, exactly. A hundred percent. Yep. The handle's the the weak spot on the stick, and uh, if you start hitting down the shaft, you're going to be there a while. Um, you know, I I, I think uh, for um, for players, you know, there's uh, 
you have the ability to get to the bench and, you know, kick the boards or, uh, you know, bang the stick, uh, go on the runway and, and just kind of release some frustration. And, you know, when you look at Carter coming off uh, two games of uh, five, six goals, I, I can't remember what the total was, but, uh, you know, I think there, this, you know, sometimes there can be a breaking point where you, you're just, you know, like you're not happy with the way things are going and, and, you know, what starts out is, you know, just maybe banging your stick turns into, you know, <laughs> you want to win the battle against the stick and, yeah. and, uh, you get into that situation. And, uh, you know, we all, at some point, whether it's in practice in a game, we, we have one of those days and, uh, you're not really thinking about how it's, it's looking. Uh, I mean, there's some, some pretty good, uh, footage of Tuka Rask, uh, losing it in, uh, Providence with, uh, a shootout and a lack of a call and, uh, at some point you, you you know you lose your cool and you know you don't have that opportunity like I said as a goaltender as much as you do as a forward and defenseman you can go out and hit somebody you can uh, fire a puck as hard as you want at the, around the boards whatever it might be and and uh, here as a goaltender you, you you're stuck in your net and you don't you're not going to hit anybody you're not going to be shooting any pucks and then you know you get in that situation where you you just want to let it go and uh, I think that was kind of where he was at and. Uh, you know, looking back on it now, uh, you know, I'm sure we'll, that's one of those clips that'll be forever on YouTube. And, uh, um, you know, you can't do anything about it now. You just got to move forward. He's such a good kid. He apologized for it too. Uh, <laughs> you, you know, it, it, it's out of character for him. It's not something you see often, but uh, I appreciated that he let it out. Uh, and I think that the second Marsh angle in that game that he let up was the one he really didn't like because it was short side. It was on a power play. But to me, that was the byproduct of backdoor pressure the entire night. And what has gone in before sometimes can affect even Carter Hart and uh, saves, you know, you're trying to make later in that game and maybe cheating a little bit to the right side in that situation. Scott, hey, uh, I love talking to you. You know that. Um, best of luck this season. It's going to be a grind for you guys, although not a ton of games, but it's still going to be pretty condensed for you guys as well. Thanks for doing this as always, and we'll talk soon. All right. Take care. Great to catch up with Scott Gordon. And I had no idea that. He was the first goalie of any prominence to put the water bottle on top of the net. I think probably in Pee Wee I was putting a water bottle on top of the net, and that stands to reason. So thanks to Scott Gordon for putting the water bottle on the net so we can stay hydrated uh, when we're playing goal at whatever level it is, even if it's uh, my cruddy men's league team. Anyway, everybody, thanks for listening. Game tonight, New Jersey Devils, Philadelphia Flyers. We'll talk to you on the radio uh, at 6.50 for the pregame show on 97.5 The Fanatic. Enjoy the game tonight, and uh, we'll have a breakdown tomorrow on another brand-new episode of Flyers. Day. The selfish, they're all standing in line Facing and hoping to buy themselves time We are figure as each breath goes by I only